good evening, everybody. Great to see you all here once again on a Wednesday night. Um, we're starting to seemingly, seeming to finally break past our pattern of kind of rough Wednesdays weather-wise. Um, so hopefully that translates to easier trips to church for everyone. Uh, seemed like for a while there it was uh, a blizzard every week, but um, glad for those of you that are steadfast regardless of the weather. Uh, so we're continuing our study verse by verse through the Old Testament, as most of you know. Uh, we find ourselves winding down this week the book of Joshua. So we're getting towards the closing chapters. We've got a few more weeks here to finish out the book of Joshua. And uh, as we, we do this, I know sometimes when we read through different sections of Scripture, different passages of Scripture, uh, sometimes it can seem kind of repetitive, I think. I, I know I think back in my own life uh, to the, the first time I at least really remember studying through the book of Psalms. Uh, I believe I was in high school or college at the time. And um, I remember thinking, I just really don't get this. It seems like it's saying the same thing over and over and over and over. But then when I took some more time to continue my study, to pray, to seek God in it, and to see what it was he might show me through that, uh, I realized that the repetition was there on purpose and for a reason. And usually when God repeats something, it's because it's important for us to understand. And uh, so as we study through Joshua tonight, we're going to be in chapters 20 and 21. Um, Good news for those of you that were here last week, we're only doing two chapters tonight instead of several. Um, But as we study through this, the message may seem a bit repetitive. Our focus point this evening is that God deals with the sins of his people and God gives his people rest. And we've heard this before, we've seen this before, but it's so important for us to understand and to know that God has made a way for sin to be dealt with and that God offers lasting and final rest to his people, to those who know and love him. And so that's what we're going to be seeing God do for the people of Israel this evening. And we're going to talk a little bit about how that applies to us here tonight as well. Uh, For our context this evening, um, so again, as I stated, we're in the closing chapters of the book of Joshua. Uh, Joshua focuses on the fulfillment of God's promises to the nation of Israel that God had promised to Abraham generations before that he would make his offspring a mighty nation, that he would give them a land to dwell in, and that they would become a blessing to the rest of the world through that. And so many hundreds of years and different obstacles and things arose in between that promise and its fulfillment. But we see through it all that God is faithful and that he works things out according to his perfect plan and his timing. And so the book of Joshua, we've seen Joshua, the new leader, go in and lead the people in their conquest of the land of Canaan. Uh, We've seen them suffer a little bit of a defeat, some setbacks when they failed to obey God and to follow him. But we've seen God also grant them victory after victory after victory over the course of several years as they conquered the land, defeated the armies and the nations living there, captured these strategic cities, and were able to take control of the area. 
And so last week, we talked about how the land was divided, that they had reached the point where they had strategic control of the land of Israel, that they controlled all the major pathways and passages through the mountains. They had all the key cities that overlooked those. And so at this point, they were able to divide up the land to the different tribes, the family groups within the nation of Israel, and uh, for them to figure out what parts they would be dwelling in, what areas were going to be theirs, to finish conquering, to defeat the remaining Canaanites, and then to set up their long-term home that God was offering them. And so in the middle of that, we see so much of God's faithfulness to his people. Uh, So this week, we're going to see kind of the closing actions of that division of the land. um, That God had commanded the people of Israel to do a few different things, a few loose ends that needed to be wrapped up as they finalized the division of the land amongst all the tribes. So all that being said, uh, let's go ahead and get started in Joshua chapter 20, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of this gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who was high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home, to the town from which he fled. In this situation, we see God giving specific instructions for the people of Israel to set up what are called the cities of refuge. Uh, So this is something that God commanded them to do back in Deuteronomy, before they were ever in this position of having the land to dwell in. This was part of God's plan to ensure that justice was carried out by the nation of Israel. Uh, So as we read through the past several books, Leviticus, uh, Deuteronomy, Numbers, we saw so much of what God's desire for the nation of Israel was, that they were to be a people set apart and holy in their worship to God. And they were to stand out from the nations around them because of their unique relationship with God and the commands God had given them. And part of that was that the nation of Israel was to be a nation who focused on justice, that they were to punish crimes, that they were to care for those in need, and that they were to do that because their lifestyle was to be a reflection of the character of their God. And so this was part of their legal judicial system, this cities of refuge that they were to set up. Um, Essentially, what they were to do is they were to spread out, to designate cities in various parts of the nation um, that would be called a city of refuge. And this was with the intention that no one would be living very far from one of these cities. In verse 3, it tells us, the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there, and they shall be for you a refuge from the avenger 
of blood. And so in this judicial system, they didn't have the same type of courts and trials and uh, system of execution that we would see in a modern society. That in this case, when someone was murdered, the avenger of blood was the one who was to carry out the execution of the murder. And so the requirements given for this earlier in the Old Testament law was that this one was to be a close relative of whoever it was that was murdered. And they were to find the murderer, track them down, and kill them as part of this justice, this judicial proceeding. And so in this situation, um, they're saying here that the city of refuge was where someone would flee to after they had killed someone. And that is where they would determine if it was a case of manslaughter or something accidental and unintentional, or if it was actually a murder, that this was done on purpose with ill will towards the person who had died. And that had a big impact on the next steps that were taken in their seeking justice. So they see what God's plan is here, uh, that he's commanded them to set up these cities of refuge for the person to go to, that this man would flee there. And then it says, again in verse 4, that he would flee to one of these cities and stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of the city. And the elders of the city were the leaders. They were the ones who made the decisions on these things, who were to lead the city and to help deal with different judicial matters that may arise. So it was to go to one of these cities of refuge to meet with the elders in the gate of the city where they would be meeting with people and carrying out their business and explain what had happened. The elders were then commanded to bring him into the city of refuge and give him a place to stay. And he would stay there. And as long as he stayed there, he would be safe from the avenger, from the person who was supposed to carry out his execution. Uh, this was to ensure that someone who had accidentally killed a man was not wrongfully executed for what he had done. So as long as he stayed in that city, he was good. In verse 5, it tells us that if the avenger of blood pursues him, they should not give up the manslaughter into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. Um, so again, this is for someone who had committed manslaughter, who had unintentionally killed someone, not for premeditated murder. In verse 6, it tells us that he's to remain in the city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the high priest at that time. And so the death of the high priest was kind of a reset or a turnover of this judicial system. Now at that point, if he had stood trial before the people and not been found guilty of murder, after the high priest had died, then it says he would be able to return to his own town and his own home. So this was a lengthy process, but one that was designed to make sure that justice was done, that the right people were executed for murder, and that someone who had not done so would not be executed. And it's interesting as we study through this, we see a lot of the value God places on the life of people. In Genesis chapter 9, God says that whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, 
for God made man in his own image. People matter. People are unique and special and fill a special role in God's creation. And we see the command of corporal punishment first show up early on in the scriptures and God connects corporal punishment back to his act of creation that man was made in the image of God and therefore someone who takes the life of another man forfeits his right to life. That this is such a blatant crime against God and against the crowning point of his creation that that person would have to pay with their own life. Um, that this principle goes back to the very beginnings of the scriptures. I'm reminded of how important, how unique people are, but also how important and how unique relationships amongst people are. That murder is the ultimate severing of a relationship between two people. That murder only happens when someone sees a human being wrongly. Instead of seeing a human being as a fellow creation made in the image of God, they see them as an obstacle to what they want or as something that gets in the way of what they're trying to accomplish, as a tool to accomplish their goals. That only happens when people are not being viewed the way God designed them to be viewed. And so Israel was to place a high value on humankind, on human relationships, and on human lives. Uh, we also see as we study through this the concept of refuge, that the cities of refuge were a place where a person who was innocent of murder would be able to go and to flee and to be safe while they were awaiting righteous judgment that would release them back to their home. In Hebrews chapter 6, it tells us that we have fled in refuge to God, that God is our refuge. Psalm 46, verse 1, says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. That much like the manslayer in this verse, we have a need for refuge. That we have severed a relationship. The manslayer had severed that relationship by killing another human being. We have acted against a righteous and holy God. As we study through the scriptures, we see that God desires relationship with mankind, but sin separates us from God. We learn that all have sinned, that all are guilty before the Lord. And because of that, we need a refuge. We need a place to be safe from the punishment that we have earned by our actions. And so God offers that place of refuge to believers at all times. That those who put their faith and their hope in God can go to him as a refuge and that he will see them as a son or daughter rather than as a fugitive, as someone who is fleeing from the justice that they rightly deserve. So the manslayer in this case 
is someone who does not deserve execution, who is fleeing to this place of refuge. We, on the other hand, deserve punishment and eternal separation from God. But God still offers us a place of refuge when we seek him. The cities of refuge was part of their judicial process uh, that was designed with the goal of restoration. Um, that the guilty person would be found out and would be executed. But someone who is not guilty, in verse 6 it tells us, would be able to return to his own town and his own home from which he had fled. Uh, that the goal of this was to bring this person back into their rightful place, whether that was punishment or whether that was a return to freedom and to their home. And it's a great picture, again, of what God has done for us in his word, uh, that God offers us refuge, that God offers us forgiveness, and that God also offers us restoration. Uh, we see from the very beginning of scriptures in creation that God created man in his own image, and God created man to live in relationship with himself, that we were designed to live in a close, loving relationship with our creator. That was God's desire and his intention with the creation of mankind from the very beginning. But because of our sin, because of the actions we have taken against our creator, we're separated from God. Isaiah tells us that our sin separates us from him. Again, that we are all guilty of this. But God has made a way for us like the manslayer, to be restored, to return to the home, to that place of rest and right relationship with our creator. And he's done this through the sacrifice of Jesus, that Jesus paid the debt no one could pay, that we might be made right with God and restored back into right relationship with him. I think one of the, the greatest pictures of this in the scriptures is uh, we, we studied this just a few weeks ago on Sunday morning. Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. And Jesus tells this parable, this story about this son who is departed from his father. Um, that He says, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance that I'm supposed to get after you die. And I'm going to go my own way and do my own thing. And so this young man leaves his home, leaves his town, leaves his family, and goes to a foreign country. And Jesus tells us that this young man squandered his inheritance on reckless living, um, that he was going about life in a way that I'm sure would not have been pleasing to his father or honoring the legacy that he would like to see with his inheritance. And so this man squanders his inheritance he leaves his family, continues making foolish choices until he is at rock bottom. That he has nowhere left to go, no money left, nothing left to turn to. That he has wasted all that his family had done for him and given him and found himself with nothing left to do. And so he comes to his senses as he's taken a job feeding pigs and he realizes that the food for the pigs looks better to him than whatever he had available to himself at the moment. And so he decides to humble himself, to return home, 
than to ask his father if he might simply work as a servant in his house, thinking that he might show at least some measure of mercy to him as he repents of the foolish choices he has made. And in this story, the son returns home, and instead of being accepted begrudgingly as a servant, his return is celebrated as a son, that his father runs out to greet him and calls for a feast to be made on his behalf, that he is celebrating the return of his lost son, whom he loved so much, and he restores this son to his prior position, his right standing with his family. And that's what God desires for people, that much like that prodigal son, we have turned from God, that we have made poor choices. We've made choices that separate us from God and from our rightful inheritance as his sons and daughters. But when we repent, when we turn back to God and seek him, he is faithful to restore that right relationship, the relationship that we were meant to have from the beginning of time and to bring us back into his home and his presence as his children. What a great picture of God's faithfulness and God's desire for relationship with his people. Um, another thing we note in this section of scripture, um, I mentioned earlier that Murder is really the ultimate severing of a human relationship. Um, that this was something that resulted in a grave sin against God and against his creation of people. But murder is not the only wrong that we can commit against another person. Um, that any action we have made selfishly, that hampers, that hinders a right relationship between people can have consequences. Uh, that God has called us to live not just in relationship with him, but in relationship with other people. Um, that, that's a huge part of what makes us human and what God has designed for his people and for the church. And unfortunately, living with people, we all still sin at times. And so sometimes living in relationship with other people can be difficult, can be challenging. And I think most of us have at one time or another been in a situation where we've seen those relationships strained or even severed. That we've seen the interaction we're supposed to have with fellow people be tainted by sin and by selfishness on our part or on theirs. When we see that happen, these verses, the message of the gospel, reminds us how important it is to make those relationships right, to seek reconciliation and to seek restoration in our relationships with God and with other people. It's important for us to repent of our sins, to be quick to seek forgiveness and to seek restoration as we go through life so that we can experience that right relationship that God designed us to have with him and with those around us. Joshua chapter 20 verse 7 says, so they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and Kiriath Arba that is Hebron in the hill country of Judah 
And beyond the Jordan east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the strangers sojourning among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there, so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. And so these verses here kind of just lay out the rest of the rationale behind the cities of refuge. It tells us which cities they set apart, where they were, that they were to be spread out throughout the land so that every person in Israel would dwell close to one of these cities of refuge. They would all have the same opportunity to go to the city of refuge, to have a just trial um, that the, the witnesses would be able to testify against them or on their behalf that justice would be done. Verse 9 tells us that these cities were designated for all the people of Israel and for the strangers sojourning among them. So this same justice was available to the nation of Israel and to anyone else who found themselves living or traveling amongst them. That God wanted justice to be done in his nation, among his people, whether or not the person in question was an Israelite, that he desired justice for all these people. I'm reminded of God's initial promise to Abraham of the land and the people that his offspring would become, uh, that God promised that the people of Israel would become a blessing to all the nations. Uh, we see the ultimate fulfillment of that in the coming of Christ who would make all mankind right before God, that he would provide that opportunity to all people to repent of their sins and be right with God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. As we read through the Old Testament, we see kind of a stark contrast between the Israelites, the Jews, the people of God, and the Gentiles, the rest of the world, who did not have that special, unique relationship with God. And oftentimes, the Jews misunderstood what that distinction was to be, that they were to stand out and be set apart from the rest of the world in holiness. But in the middle of that, they were to be a light to the nations, that they were to be a people who would draw the rest of the world to God, that through their life and their lifestyle, other nations would see God and question what was different about these people, what made them unique, that they would be drawn towards their creator by seeing his people living their lives that he had called them to. And so Ephesians, the verse I just read there, reminds us that God desires that people be united under him, that he has not separated the Jew and the Gentile any longer, that they are all made one through the sacrifice of the cross, that God desires that all who would repent of their sins and seek him would come to know him. And it's important for us to remember as we go through life that we need to take care to not be an obstacle to the restoration of somebody else's relationship with God. Uh, that it's easy for us uh, 
to get comfortable living as the church, comfortable around other believers, and to look at the world outside of us in judgment. Um, That again, there are times and places for that. But we have to be careful that we're not placing obstacles in the way of someone who is seeking God. That anyone who would be willing to seek after God, to come before him in humility, should be accepted, should be loved, and should be directed towards our Lord and Savior. That they might experience the same joy of knowing his grace and knowing who he is in their day-to-day lives. And that can take many different forms. Uh, We think about all the different places we engage with people, our places of work, um, places we shop, uh, our interactions we have on social media even. That in all of these, we want to make sure that we are not presenting obstacles to people who may be seeking the Lord. Uh, Chapter 21 we're going to go through fairly quickly here, uh, continues some of the division of the land. So all the tribes of Israel have received the portion of the land that they were supposed to have, except for the tribe of Levi. So as we studied through the past several books, we see that God had set apart out of the nation of Israel the tribe of Levi, the Levites, for his service in the tabernacle And among the people of Israel, they were to be the ones who would help serve the rest of the nation by leading them in the worship of God, by carrying out the sacrifices God had commanded, and by helping teach God's law and his commandments to the rest of the nations. So verse 21 is going to talk about what God does with this particular group of people. Joshua 21 verse 1. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, The Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in along with their pasture lands for our livestock. So by command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. Uh, So I believe um, a few sermons back, I misspoke on this topic. I said that the Levites weren't to have any livestock. Um, That's clearly not true here. Um, That they were allowed at least some livestock and some land. And so we see the Levites go before the high priest, Eliezer, and to Joshua and remind him of the command God had given through Moses some years before that they were... to be given cities and pasture lands around those cities to dwell in. Um, the, the tribe of Levi was not given a specific geographic inheritance in the land, uh, that they were set apart for the worship of God, and their inheritance was that role God had given them. And they were also allowed to be fed off of the sacrifices that the people of Israel brought to the tabernacle to make before God. And so that was how they were compensated for the work that they were doing. And in verse 4, it lays out those cities by the tribe or by the clans of each tribe, the different family groups within that tribe. Verse 4 says, The lot came out for the clans of the Kohathites. So those Levites who were descendants of Aaron the priest received by lot from the tribes of Judah, Simeon and Benjamin, 13 cities. 
And the rest of the Kohathites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, ten cities. So this list is going to go on, kind of just listing off a bunch of different, different names here and the different cities that they're given. Um, so we see these family groups being given different cities throughout the land. Verse 6, the Gershonites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh and Bashan, 13 cities. The Merarites, according to their clans, received from the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the tribe of Zebulun, 12 cities. These cities and their pasture lands, the people of Israel, gave by lot to the Levites as the Lord had commanded through Moses. Out of the tribe of the people of Judah and the tribe of the people of Simeon, they gave the following cities mentioned by name, which went to the descendants of Aaron, one of the clans of the Kohathites who belonged to the people of Levi, since the lot fell to them first. They gave them Kiriath Arba, Arba being the father of Anak, that is Hebron in the hill country of Judah, along with the pasture lands around it. But the fields of the city and its villages had been given to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as his possession. And to the descendants of Aaron the priest, they gave Hebron, the city of refuge for the manslayer, with its pasture lands, Libna with its pasture lands, Jatir with its pasture lands, Eshtemoah with its pasture lands, Holon with its pasture lands, Debir with its pasture lands, Ain with its pasture lands, Juthah with its pasture lands, Beth with its pasture lands, nine cities out of those two tribes. Then out of the tribe of Benjamin, Gibeon with its pasture lands, Geba with its pasture lands, Anathoth with its pasture lands, and Alnan with its pasture lands, four cities. The cities of the descendants of Aaron the priest were in all 13 cities with their pasture lands. As to the rest of the Kohathites belonging to the Kohathite clans of the Levites, the cities allotted to them were out of the tribe of Ephraim. To them were given Shechem, the city of refuge for the manslayer, with its pasture lands, and the hill country of Ephraim, Gezer with its pasture lands, Kibzam with its pasture lands, Beth Horon with its pasture lands, four cities. And out of the tribe of Dan, Elteke with its pasture lands, Gibbethon with its pasture lands, Ijalon with its pasture lands, Gath Ramon with its pasture lands, four cities. And out of the half tribe of Manasseh, Tanakh with its pasture lands, and Gath Ramon with its pasture lands, two cities. The cities of the clans of the rest of the Kohathites were ten in all with their pasture lands. And so we see kind of this system set up, that they list off the different family group, uh, the clan, Gershon, Merari, Kohath. These are the different kind of subgroups, family groups within the tribe of Levi. And then we see them also list off the other tribes of Israel, uh, that these tribes were basically giving a tithe of their cities, of their property, to the Levites for them to dwell in, much as they would give a tithe of their livestock or of um, their harvest to God, that they were to give a tithe of the land God had given them back to God for the Levites to dwell in. And so we see all these different people groups given these different cities and different areas along with some of the pasture surrounding them for their animals. And so that same kind of format follows through all these verses. And then in verse 41, it summarizes everything that happened here. It says, The cities of the Levites in the midst of the possession of the people of Israel were in all 48 cities with their pasture lands. These cities each had its pasture lands around it. So it was with all these cities. 
And so as we read through this, it's easy to just see all these names, all these names of these different cities, all these names of these different groups, and not really think about what the significance of that is. But if you look at a map of Israel and you see these cities, you'll see that they're spread all over the land of Israel. Uh, That it says here in verse 41 that there were 48 cities dedicated to the Levites. And so the landmass of the nation of Israel is not that large. We're talking about somewhere, I think I, I read it was comparable in size to the state of Maryland. Um, so not a huge area. And there's 48 cities spread all throughout this nation that are dedicated to the Levites, that everyone who lives there is from the tribe of Levi, from the tribe that was to lead the people in worship of God to carry out their sacrifices to God and to help teach them the word, the laws and the commands of God, that they were spread all throughout the nation so that everyone would have access to one of these cities of refuge, if need be, but also, more importantly, they would have even easier access to a city of the Levites, to these people that would be able to help them know and understand their God. So the Levites were commanded to live among the people and to share God's word and his worship with those around him. And we see more than a few parallels between the modern church that we're a part of today and the tribe of Levi in the Old Testament. Uh, First Peter chapter 2 um, kind of restates Something from the Old Testament telling us that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Matthew chapter 5 tells us that we as believers are to be the salt of the earth, that we are to be a light to the world, that much like the tribe of Levi, that we are to live in the world, amongst the people of the world, so that we can proclaim the glory of God to those around us. Uh, That oftentimes in the Christian life, it's easy and it's comfortable to be inward focused, to be seeking to spend time around those who know God, who share our faith and our lifestyle as followers of God. And that is a good thing to a certain point. But if we become too inward focused, we lose sight of God's purpose, that God is building a great nation of those who know and love him, that he desires that the whole world would see his glory and would worship him. And we take part in that by living amongst those who need to hear the message of the gospel, who need to hear about the power of Christ, about the grace that God offers, and about the greatness of the creator that they do not yet know. So it's important for us to remember that, that as we are in the world, when we're tempted to be frustrated with the sin all around us, when we're tempted to only spend our time and our focus with other believers. We need to remember that we are on a mission as ambassadors 
for our Lord to a world that desperately needs to know him. Verse 43. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And so we read these closing verses here. This really concludes this portion of Joshua, that the nation of Israel has seen God's faithfulness in a way that no generation before them had seen, that God had brought them into the land he had promised to them, that he had given them victory over their enemies, that he had given them specific places to dwell, to set up residence, to make their homes for the long haul, that they had seen God fulfill those promises to them. There was more work to come that the people of Israel still had to fight, to Um, drive out some of those remaining groups of the Canaanites. But God had told them that that is how this would happen, that he would give them the land step by step, piece by piece, that they would slowly move into it at a rate that they could conquer it and dwell in it, not all at once. And so God was faithful to his promises. But we also see in verse 44 that God gave them rest. This is such a great concept we see within the scriptures, that God gives rest. That the people of Israel had been fighting against their enemies for several years now as they went to conquer the land. That before that, they had been wandering in the wilderness as the consequence of their sin and their disobedience, waiting for God to give them a home and to give them a place where they could experience rest. Before that happened, they were slaves in the land of Egypt for 400 years serving a hostile king, waiting for God to fulfill his promises and to bring them to a place of rest. We see that same theme continued in the New Testament, that rest is something that can only be found in God. Hebrews chapter 4 reveals a little bit more of this to us. It says, If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And so, the rest the people of Israel experience here is merely a foreshadowing of the rest that we will ultimately see in Christ. Um, that the people of Israel, I'm sure, were quite happy to be able to enter in to a more settled existence, to not be struggling daily, fighting in battle with their enemies, that God gave them rest. But that rest was just a picture of the full and complete measure of rest that God offers to those who know him and seek him. Uh, So for our New Testament connection this evening, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest 
for your souls. And that's really the hope that we have in God. Uh, that much like the people of Israel, we've experienced, experienced the strain of messed up relationships. We've experienced the strain and the struggle of life in a fallen world. That we're surrounded by sin and sinners and the consequences of that sin. That sometimes we're burdened by our own sin. Sometimes we're burdened by the sins of others. For those who haven't come to know Christ, they're burdened by their own sin, by the sin that separates them from their Lord. And God calls to all of those people, to whatever situation they may be in, and he calls to them and offers rest. That whatever struggle we're facing in life, whatever obstacle is in our way, whatever difficulty is bringing us down, we can go to our Lord, bring it before him, and know that he offers us rest. That it may not change the situation we find ourselves in. Uh, that God oftentimes brings us through difficulties and challenges for a greater purpose. But he is faithful to give us that rest for our souls. That we can have peace knowing that he is with us, that there is a purpose in our struggles, and that he will be faithful to bring us home to be with him in the end. And there we will experience that full, everlasting, unquenchable rest that God has promised to those who trust him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. I thank you that you are a God who keeps all your promises, Lord that we can trust you because of the work you've done around us, because of the evidence we see for you in the world around us, and because of the recording we have of your work here in your word, Lord. I pray that you would help us to trust in you through all the ups and downs of life because of that, God. And I pray that you would be with us all this week as we go from here, Lord, um, that we would be quick to turn to you when we're struggling, when we're striving, when we feel overwhelmed or overburdened or worn out, that we would come to you seeking that rest that you have promised, Lord. I pray that you would help us to hope in that and to know that you will be faithful to give it. I ask these things in Jesus' name.